Ephesians chapter 1. It's not often that I have a, a title for the things that I share because I don't always know what I'm going to share. That's why I'm, I'm kind of sitting here before the Lord just waiting to see if there's anything He wants to interrupt me with. Uh, but it, it looks like we're going to go with, with what I had prayed about sharing. Uh, and not only do I have a title, but I have a real long title. Prayer, Adjustment to the Eternal Purpose. Prayer, colon, Adjustment to the Eternal Purpose. And so this message really has two parts. I may or I may not be able to get through both parts tonight because part one is so huge, it's so vast, it's so great, it's so mind-blowing, it's so awesome. I don't know if I'll be able to, to get through part one and be satisfied that, that I did it justice before moving on to part two. But that's okay. I'm, I'm going to be here as long as the Lord will have me here. And hopefully we'll have many Sunday nights together and, and a lot of time together to go over these things and discuss them. But uh, that's, the, that's the topic that I, I want to share. Prayer, adjustment to the eternal purpose. In part one of this, we have to understand God's eternal purpose, first of all. And then second, how we are adjusted to that purpose. I'm using that word adjustment, and that's a very key word that we'll get into later on. Uh, first of all, God's eternal purpose. I really appreciate this morning uh, Brother Jerry sharing about God's purpose, God's will, or, or the, the, the vision, the mission of the glory of the Lord filling the earth. And, and I want to pick right up on that and, uh, and continue on with that thought tonight of God's eternal purpose in Christ. So you, you are in Ephesians. We'll begin in the first chapter. This Ephesians chapter 1 is the longest portion of Scripture that goes continuously without a complete stop. Paul, after being on the road for so many years, is finally imprisoned and he takes this opportunity to be able to write down and put into words this great revelation that the Lord has given him concerning Jesus Christ and his kingdom and the church. And the result of that is what you're holding in your hand tonight, the, the letter to the Ephesians. And Paul, after so many years, finally, he has great liberty from the Lord to be able to express this great revelation and so you see him going on and on and on as, as that revelation just begins to flow out of him. So there's no way that, you, that we have time to read the entire passage tonight. We just have to find a place and jump right in. And, and so our jumping in place will be in verse 9 of Ephesians 1. Paul says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. I want you to repeat that after me, all things in Christ. All things in Christ. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. 
in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose. It's a key phrase there. The purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Father, tonight we thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us revelation, that gives us illumination into your word. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. Let us not have ears for man or for man's thoughts or for the flesh, but Lord, let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Lord, give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see what you are doing and what you are saying. In the name of Jesus, that the word would become flesh and that it would dwell in us and would dwell among us, that our hearts would be softened by the word and that we would produce 30, 60, and 100-fold return in our lives. Father, I thank you tonight, and I praise you in Jesus' name. There's three things I, I want to pick up here in God's eternal purpose. We see this in illustrated for us in verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11. Three points to begin with. First of all, there is a will of God. There is a purpose of God. There is a desire of the Lord. When I'm talking about the will of God tonight, I'm not talking about the will of God for you individually. Somebody come up and say, I I need to know what God's will is for my marriage or what God's will is for my job or what God's will is concerning my finances or whatever the case may be. Those things are important and we need to know that. But what I'm talking about tonight is God's eternal purpose, His grand design, His reason for doing the things that He does. Why did God create the heavens and the earth? Why did God create Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden? Why did He create Eve? Why did He send a flood? Why did He raise up Abraham? Why did He create Israel? Why did He send Jesus Christ to to be born of a virgin and to walk? on the earth and live a sinless life and to be crucified, dead, and buried? And why did He send His Holy Spirit? And why has He established the church? And why are we here tonight? And what is going to be the end of all of this? I am talking about God's eternal purpose that He purposed before the foundation of the world. His will with a capital W. The will of God. Second thing we see is not only is there a will, there is a purpose. But we find out what God's purpose is. God's will is all things in Christ. All things in Christ. And then the third thing that we see is that all things are working after the counsel of His will. That's a very poetic way of saying that everything that is happening is working in conjunction and because of that will and that purpose. Let's look at each one of these. Verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. There is a purpose. There is a desire. There is a calling. There is a will. There's a, a point of view in philosophy called fatalism. And fatalism is basically that attitude that says it doesn't make any difference what you do. It doesn't matter. We're just all kind of drifting aimlessly through life. And, you know, it's just there's no rhyme or reason to the world. And and fatalism is what 
drives people to commit suicide because if you have a fatalistic attitude, it does not make sense. Life does not make sense. You don't see a purpose. You don't see a rhyme nor reason to anything. You don't understand why things happen the way they happen. But it says here in the Scriptures that God has made known unto us the mystery of His will. There is a will of God. There is a purpose. There is a reason why we are here. We're not just here by chance. We're not just here by accident. It's not just because of Big Bang or whatever the, whatever the theory is. We are not an accident. You are not an accident. You are here by the divine intention of God. It is intentional that we are here. But His will is a mystery to the majority of the world, and I would even say to, to a lot of the church, God's will is a mystery. And we think that makes us spiritual to say, oh, we just can't know God's will. Paul says we know it. It's been revealed to us. I was in a, a cafe once, and they had a lot of neat signs on the wall. One of the signs on there, it said, if you think the music is too loud, then you're too old. <laughs> so a lot of little cute uh, street wisdom or colloquial wisdom hanging on the wall there. And, and one of the signs on the wall, it, it said this. It said, if there is a will, I want to be in it. I don't know what they meant by that, but that immediately resonated with me. If there is a will, if we can find a purpose in the Word of God for why we are here and what God is calling us to do, if there is a will, I want to be in it. I want to be in it. And I believe all of us want to be in God's will. In fact, I think a lot of us are unnecessarily afraid of getting outside of God's will. We're so afraid that we're going to make a mistake and get outside of God's will. I want you to know tonight God's will is so big that you can't even sin your way out of God's will. Y'all are you're just not shouting me down tonight. God's will is so big, He is so vast, He is so great that you can't sin your way out of God's will. That's what Adam tried to do. But Jesus Christ was already sacrificed before the foundation of the world. It's not as if Adam's sin took God by surprise. There is no plan B, brothers and sisters. There's just one plan, one eternal purpose of God. And you're not big enough to thwart that. We just think we have so much power. Jesus loves you so much. He already died for you knowing how you are anyway. He knows how you are and He already died for you. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not powerful enough to thwart God's purpose. Now we need to know what His purpose is, what His will is, so we can cooperate with it. So we can flow in that will. We don't want to fight God all of our life, like Jacob, wrestling with God all the time. So I'm not saying go live any way you want to. It doesn't matter. Oh, it does matter. But I'm saying if you are bound tonight with fear, <laughs> you needn't be. Just understand God's purpose is bigger than you. But if there is a will, I want to be in it. I believe everyone does. Paul says he has made known unto us a mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. It is a purpose. Now, you have to ask yourself tonight, will God get his way? Some people don't think God's going to get his way. They think they're stronger than God is. I believe God's purpose will be fulfilled. We saw tonight how God had, or this morning, how God had a purpose. He said three or four times, scatter. 
Go, be scattered across the face of the earth, replenish and multiply and, and, and spread out. And they didn't. They refused to do it, but God ended up spreading them anyway. <laughs> so how much free will did they have? How much free will did Jonah have when he was swallowed by a whale? <laughs> God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, I'm not going there. And he went in the opposite direction. So the Lord prepared a giant fish to swallow Jonah. How much free will did Jonah have? How much free will does Saul have on his way to Damascus? And he was going there to kill Christians, and then the Lord just appeared to him. Now, if the Lord appeared to him in that way, can't he appear to anyone at any time? Hallelujah. I just want you to think. I just want you to consider how great the Lord is, how big he is. We've got him in a little box about that size, and we think we've got everything under control. We don't. Control is an illusion. You don't have control. He has a purpose. He has a will. What is that purpose? Number two, God's will is all things in Christ. We'll read that in verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, and I believe that's the dispensation that we're living in. Of course, every generation since the early church has believed that they were the last generation. But I think we, we can say this with all confidence. We're closer now to the day of the Lord than we were 2,000 years ago. Tomorrow we'll be even closer. Every day brings us closer to that day and that hour and that time when the Lord will return. But he says, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. All things in Christ. Trying to figure out if I want to give you number three now or if I want to go to Colossians. Let's go to Colossians. I'm going to show you something in Colossians chapter 1. What does that mean? All things in Christ. Well, I want to give you a, just, just, a little, just a little taste of this. This will, this will numb your mind. <laughs> it's already numb. This, this will numb your mind even more. God's Word is so big. His Word is so vast. His purpose is so great. What have we been preaching people? What have we been teaching people? About a half gospel, 25% gospel, not the full gospel. This is the full gospel. It has to begin with God's purpose. Why is He doing what He's doing? Because if we don't understand His purpose, we don't see how we fit into it. We can't cooperate with it. But I want you to see what this means. All things in Christ. Let's begin reading again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? That word translation is, is very similar to the word rapture. We're looking for the rapture to come translate us up into heaven. Paul says he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has already, past tense, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now, fasten your seatbelt. Verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Hallelujah. 
For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him, by Christ, to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Hallelujah. All things. Seven times that word all, all, all. God has a purpose. All things in Christ. And the key here, the key word I want you to see is preeminence. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. The last part of verse 18. That's God's purpose for Jesus Christ. When I tell you it is all about Jesus, I'm not just giving you a slogan or a motto. I am speaking to you God's eternal purpose from the foundation of the world. That he would have the preeminence in all things. What does preeminence mean? Well, preeminence simply means the place of superiority, the place of ascendancy, the place of being absolute sovereign, absolute Lord of all. It's in the same context where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's preeminence. Give the kingdom of God, the things of the kingdom of heaven, the preeminence. Give them the first place. Give Christ the preeminence. And all these things will be added to you. See, this is God's purpose. All things in Christ. That's a lot of stuff. All things. But what we are seeing is no matter how scattered things appear to be, no matter how messed up things seem like they are, no matter how much we might try to fight against God and rebel against His ways and break His commandments and go in our own way, no matter how far removed from God's purpose things seem to get, God has a purpose, He has a will, and it says He is going to gather all things together into Jesus again. I told you it was big. If you go back to Ephesians. Back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. The third thing we see in this passage is that all things are working together according to this purpose. It says in verse 11 of Ephesians 1, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose. There's the purpose again. Predestinated according to the purpose of Him who works all things after the counsel of His own will. What does that mean? He, everything that is going on, everything, hallelujah, everything God has done, everything God is doing, everything God will do, is related to that purpose. That Jesus would have the preeminence in all things. Now it says in Hebrews chapter 2, we do not yet see all things submitted to Him. How many of us tonight believe that Jesus is Lord? I believe You don't have to raise your hand. We all know Jesus is Lord, right? But we don't yet see all things submitted to Him, do we? Even in Hebrews it admits this. It admits we don't yet see all things submitted to Him, but we see Jesus, it says. And when we see Jesus, when He is revealed to us, we see God's purpose. We see God's end. We see how He is going to work everything together. There's a verse somewhere here in Ephesians, I was trying to find it, but it says that he is able to subdue all things unto himself. You read the epistle tonight and you'll find it in there. 
He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see that in the end, after He has put down all rule and all authority, that He will present all of that to His Father. And then it says God will be all in all. Hallelujah. That is the fulfillment of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Hallelujah. All things are working together according to this purpose. If you look over in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now frequently we will go over to Romans chapter 8 and we will use this as a way to say that no matter what happens in your life, good or bad, God's going to use it for good. And that, that's, that's one interpretation. But I believe there's a deeper thing here that God wants us to see. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, Paul says, We know that all things work together for good. Now that is very similar to what we just read in Ephesians 1.11 that says he is working all things according to the counsel of his own will. Here Paul says it a little differently. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is another way of saying gathering together in one all things in Christ. To be conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. And that sounds like a, a lot of spiritual phraseology, doesn't it? But what does it all mean? We can, we can sum up God's purpose in one verse. I'll, I'll show this to you in John chapter 3. You hear me quote it all the time, but I'll show it to you. John chapter 3. It's more important that you read it than that you hear it. It's more important that you see it than that you listen to me say it. John 3.30 says this, He, Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. Everything that God has done from the beginning of time, everything that God is doing right now, and everything that God will do is towards this purpose of increasing Christ and decreasing everything else. In the Scriptures we see this continual movement of God towards increasing Christ, making Him known, revealing Him to mankind, revealing Him to this earth. First in types and shadows of the Old Testament. And then taking on him the form of a servant, becoming a man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now leaving his spirit in his church. Why? To prepare for a kingdom of God. A place, what is the kingdom of God? It is that place where Jesus has the preeminence. We don't yet see all things submitted to him now. But in that kingdom of God, Jesus is Lord. He has the preeminence. And where does that happen? Jesus says, do not look for it outwardly because the kingdom of God is within you. Now this purpose of John 3.30, He must increase, but I must increase. God, through the Holy Spirit, is going about the work of increasing Christ and decreasing you. That is the work. That explains everything. You can always go back to that. Always go back to God's purpose. 
That explains everything you've been through. It explains everything you're going through. And it explains everything you will go through. Oh yes, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. What is the object? More of Jesus, less of me. Praise God. Hopefully one day we will get to the place where when you see me, you have seen Jesus. As it is now, you see more of me than you see of the Lord. But as he is increased, I am decreased. And as I am decreased, he is increased. He must increase, it says. It is not an option. And tonight, whether you believe it or not, whether you understand it or not, you might not even agree with what I'm saying, but God is still going about his purpose. He is still increasing Christ and decreasing you, whether you like it or not. And if you're honest, if you are honest, you'll look back in your life and you can see that the Lord decreasing you. See, this is not a message that you can hear on, on television. Why? Because people aren't interested in that kind of a word. They want to hear all about how can I be increased? How can I get more? How can I become a spiritual giant? Bless me, Lord. Oh, make prosper me. Oh, Lord, pour out on me. When Jesus says, if you really want life, you have to lay it down. You have to let it go. You have to give it up. If you want to become great, you've got to become a servant. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose your life for my sake. If you want real power in your wife, in, in your life, in your wife too, praise God, we need power in our lives. <laughs> but if you really want power in your life, you've got to accept weakness. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. As I am decreased, he must increase. Hopefully today there is less of me and there is more of Jesus, and tomorrow there will be still less of me and yet more of him. And on and on and on it goes. That is the path, that is discipleship. As we lose our life, we gain his life. Everyone says, what's the Lord doing now? What is the Lord? Oh, the Lord's doing a new thing. No, he's not. You just finally figured out what he's been doing all along. That's it. It's just revelation to you. He's not doing a new thing. He's doing the same thing he's been doing for the foundation of the world. Everything he is doing is to increase Christ and to decrease everything else. Heaven and earth will pass away, he says. That's decreasing but my word will never pass away. Jesus is that word and he is increasing. It says in Isaiah of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Not only will, will there be no end of his kingdom, but it says there will be no end of the increase of his kingdom. He must increase and become larger and greater. And so Paul says, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who he is that you may be able to comprehend with all saints the height and the depth and the width and the breadth and the length of Him. Because He is ever increasing. Why? He must fill all things. That He would have the preeminence in all things. That He would gather together in one all things in Christ. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Now part two. <laughs> Part two, it is a battle for us just to be able to comprehend and understand God's purpose. Some of you, this might be the first time you've ever heard anything about God's purpose as far as his eternal purpose, his eternal will. Some folks, some precious folks are saved and they think that the only purpose that God has for them is just to be in church on Sunday morning. That they're just supposed to shuffle through life looking forward to heaven when they die. 
There is more to God's kingdom and God's purpose than that. It is living out of heaven now. Overcoming where you are. Anyone can overcome after you've been to heaven. Oh yeah. I can turn the other cheek once I'm in the presence of Jesus. But there's no enemies in heaven to slap me. That's the whole thing. That's not a big test, is it? Right here on the earth, it's where we are called to be light. Where we are called to be salt. Where we are called to lay down our life. I guess anybody can live for God after they've already gone up to heaven. Absolutely. But now, now, now in here, in this place, in this tabernacle, in this body that we're walking around in, can we bring something of heaven into earth? That is the issue. Not getting us into heaven, but can we bring heaven into earth? By being ambassadors for Jesus Christ. If you would join me in in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. I said the title of this message is Prayer, Adjustment to the Eternal Purpose. Because what I'm, what I'm wanting to get across tonight, first of all, is that God's eternal purpose is, is so much greater and so much larger than what we've imagined. But also to make this point, it is in prayer and through prayer that we are adjusted to that purpose. And I'll explain more what I mean by adjustment here in, in just a moment. But first of all, in Luke 11, verse 1. And it came to pass that as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And Jesus said unto them, when you pray, say, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. I've spent, what, half an hour or so talking about God's purpose. So when we see here, it says, your kingdom come, your will. I want you to see tonight, Jesus is asking us to pray for the fulfillment of God's purpose. The fulfillment of God's will. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And what is that will? That Jesus would have the preeminence in all things. Beginning where? With me, individually as a disciple of the Lord Jesus who has taken up the cross to follow Him. See, it doesn't begin out there in the world. The, the, the glory of the Lord, and the glory of the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, but how is it going to get there? Is it just going to drop down out of heaven? No. It begins not even with the church. Because the church is merely the synthesis or the, or the gathering together of all those individual disciples of Jesus Christ. So where does it begin? It begins with us. Individually, as disciples, as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm talking about a practical walk. I'm not talking about you check into a church and you check out. I am talking about a daily. This is a daily thing that we pray. Because the very next thing after that is give us this day our daily bread. Daily. Daily. So what is he saying? The first first thing, the foremost duty of prayer, first and foremost is to get aligned with the will of God. The foremost duty of prayer is to get myself aligned, and the word I'm using is adjusted. To get me adjusted to what God is doing in Christ. To get me lined up. You know, if if you've got your car and it's in alignment, it will go straight down the road. But after you've hit some potholes and and run over some, some... cats and possums and everything else, wherever the case may be, you get out of alignment. 
And then what do you have to do? You have to always correct your steering wheel. I never can get mine going straight down the road for some reason. But that's what I'm talking about. If you are out of alignment, you are always running off the road and you have to overcompensate and then your tires get worn on one side and then you have to replace your tires. So it's a problem. The foremost duty of prayer, the very first thing he says that we should ask for, your kingdom come. Now. It's not, let's, let's wait till we get to heaven. Your kingdom come now. Why? Because the kingdom of God is bigger than just some place I'm going to go live after I've lived on this earth. The kingdom of God is not just off in the twilight zone someplace. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. Jesus says the kingdom is within you. And heaven is just the extension of that. We are living in eternity now. We've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now what we're trying to do in prayer, Jesus says, every day that you are praying with that kingdom and with that will right in front of you. That purpose right in front of you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? In heaven? No. As in heaven, so in earth. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth. So where does it begin? When I'm praying, I say, Lord, I thank you that you are establishing a kingdom that is ever increasing, that Christ will have the preeminence in all things. And I pray, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, may your purpose be fulfilled on earth as it is in heaven, beginning with me, beginning with us as individual disciples, then with the church, which is the corporate representation of all the members of that body, and then with the entire world. You see, it's not going to reach the world and... The world is not going to see the light and the glory and the preeminence of Jesus Christ until it's seen in the church. And it's not going to be seen in the church until it's seen in each individual disciple. And see, that's what we are missing. We're, we're missing who we are as disciples. There's been a big, a big push for gathering together and let's have fellowship and, and, and let's, let's focus on the church and on the community and those things are needed and important. But I'll tell you why you don't have community. You can gather people together and still not have fellowship. You can gather people together and still not have community. You can gather people together and still not be in spirit and truth. If all it takes is just to get people into a building and say that you're having church, that is not enough. And the reason we don't have relationship even when we're gathered together is because individually as disciples we're not, we are not truly following the Lord. I'm just speaking generally. I know everyone here is, is, I know everyone here is following the Lord and you're just 100% all the time, but there's a lot of people that they just flip a switch on Sunday and become spiritual. It's always been amazing to me how I would sit and I would observe People trying to put on a worship service. And they never worship God the other six days of the week. And it was so apparent. There was no life. There was no spirit. Why? Because they tried to become something on Sunday that they didn't live any other time. They tried to become something that they were not. So what are we saying? Jesus must have the preeminence in me. First and foremost. And if we will all walk worthy of the high calling of God in Christ, what, is, what does that mean? It means walking as He wants us to walk individually. 
Following Jesus is a solitary thing, first of all. You follow me. Who do you say that I am? It's a solitary thing, first of all. It is only when we take up the cross and we begin to follow Jesus out of love for him that we see that we have, have been gathered together into this ecclesia, this church that Jesus is building, and that we are not the only disciple that is following the Lord, but we see other disciples, and they join together with us as we are following the Lord. And that's what your community is based on. It's based on Him, because we're all following Him. If it's based on something else, and it will, it will last for a little while, and then it will fizzle out. He never changes. But if we're gathered together, and we are gathered together for some reason or for some common ground other than Jesus Christ, then it'll, it'll last only as long as we get along. <laughs> How many churches have split? And why have they split? How many groups have come together, and then they have fallen apart? And why is it? Because they are not based on a disciple's relationship with Jesus. There's no common ground of Christ. It's a common ground of where we're all Baptists, or we're all assemblies of God, we're all charismatic, we're all Methodists. And that stuff doesn't last. The only way we can gather together and get along is to love the Lord Jesus and to make him the reason why we are gathered together. Anything less than that is doomed, doomed to fail. <laughs> I've seen it too many times. So the foremost duty of prayer is to get adjusted to God's purpose. You see, prayer is not about what I want. It's about what He wants. Oh, that takes a big adjustment. Because we have been taught and trained and led to believe that prayer is all about going to God and trying to get God to adjust Himself to what we want. And I'm saying it's the exact opposite of that. Prayer is when I go to the Lord and I empty myself of what I want, I empty myself of what I think, and I say, Lord, I need to be adjusted. I need to see things from Your perspective. I need to see things from Heaven's perspective. I need Your will and not my will. And that's how Jesus prayed in the garden, remember? As He was on His way to the cross. He was conscious of the fact that he had a will. He had a mind of his own. And in that mind of his own, he didn't want to go to the cross because of the pain, because of the suffering. Not only that, the spiritual separation between himself and, and his father. So he said, Lord, it, Father, if it is possible, let this cut pass from me. Yet, yet, not my will, but your will be done. And it takes some work and it takes some labor for us to be able to align ourselves and become adjusted to where we can accept God's will. It's not just a passive saying, oh, well, you know, whatever the Lord's will is, you know, we'll just pray that whatever His will is will happen. No, it is pressing into the Lord and knowing Him for who He is, knowing His will, knowing His purpose. What is His purpose? Jesus will be increased and that all else will be decreased. So then the, the, the primary uh, purpose of prayer is not to try to get God to come down to my level at all. It is only about me trying to be able to get to his level and to see things from his perspective. Because what happens? I'll tell you what happens with me. I'll go to the Lord in prayer and I'll think I know what needs to be done. And I'll say, okay, Lord, A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four. Here's, here's what needs to be done. 
And often we'll do that and we'll get up and we'll eat and we wonder how come prayer doesn't do anything. It seems like our prayers don't get answered. Why? Because prayer is more about adjusting yourself to seeing what the Lord wants. You don't pray for what you want. You pray for what the Lord wants. (laughs) And so it happens that I will go into prayer and I'll think I know what needs to be done. And what happens? As I sit before the Lord, He begins to make His will known to me and sometimes that will is exactly opposite of what I thought was needed. Or He'll give me a burden to pray about something that I didn't even go to the Lord to pray about to begin with. But now I'm burdened to pray. See? It is all about adjusting ourselves to know God's will and to know His purpose. Prayer is not about what I want anyway. Prayer is about what he wants. And I just wrote some notes down. I'm going, to, I'm going to close up here, but I don't want to sound like I'm reading, even though I'm reading, okay? So just listen. The first thought upon entering daily prayer should not be towards whatever personal needs or requests we may have, or even the intercession we would make on behalf of others. But the foremost duty of prayer, the foremost duty of prayer is to get aligned with the mind and will of God, to get ourselves adjusted to Him, to leave our ground altogether and come up onto His ground in the heavenly places. See, if we'll do that, we'll spend less time wrestling with God and more time cooperating with God. Why do we wrestle with God so much now? Because often what He wants is the opposite of what we want. And we don't want to take the time to wait. We, we think we know and so we go to Him. But that's not God's... That's not the highest... Example comes to, to my mind of David. You recall that, that the word of the Lord came to David and because David sinned, Nathan came to him and said, the Lord has forgiven your sin, but the child that was born in the midst of this sin and midst of this adultery is going to die. And so David, it says, that he went before the Lord and he lay on the earth for seven days and seven nights praying. And at the end of seven days, it says that the child died. And they were afraid to tell him that the child had died because they thought, he behaves this way now. What's going to happen when he finds out the child is dead? But then he perceived that what had happened, and he said, is the child dead? They said, yes. So it says he got up from the ground. He washed his face, changed his clothes went into the temple again or into the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord, and then he came back and had something to eat. (laughs) And they said, we don't understand. When the child was alive, you prayed and you fasted. But now that the child is dead, it's like you don't even care. What's up with that? Here's the point. The point is that David was not praying to change the outcome. He was praying to get adjusted to what God said. (laughs) He was praying to get adjusted to the will of the Lord. The Lord had already said the child's going to die. Now it says that he prayed and he fasted. He says, perhaps the Lord will change his mind. He says, but now, now that the will of God is revealed and the child has died, why should I keep praying? Why should I keep fasting? Because the will is known. The will is... See, David acquiesced himself. I like that word. He acquiesced himself to the will of God. It took a week. 
If it was one of my children, it might take longer than a week. It might take me a month. It's hard to acquiesce ourselves to the will of God. But that is the work of prayer. Even Jesus prayed three times, not my will, but your will be done. So the object of prayer is to be adjusted. You need to be calibrated. You need to be adjusted. You need to come off of your ground and come onto the Lord's ground. You need to get out of yourself and find out what He wants. Not my will, but your will. Our Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done, your purpose, your desire for my life. Because His desire and His purpose is so much greater than what we could even desire for ourselves. We can't understand everything that happens. We don't have the answer for everything that happens. But all things, just think about that, all things are working together according to his purpose. Not according to my purpose. Not according to what I want necessarily. But see, here's the thing. When we get into the presence of the Lord, when we live there, when we abide there, he begins to adjust us. And then he begins to give us new desires. He gives us a new will. He says, I'll take away your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And you will follow me and you will know me. And he says, in that day, says the Lord, no one will say to the other, know the Lord, because every one will know me from the greatest unto the least. When we know him, when we are acquiesced to his will and to his purpose and to his plan, we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't care about me. The flesh is especially active in prayer. We're not spiritual just because we're praying all the time. James says you have not because you ask not. And even when you ask, it says you don't receive because you ask amiss. Why? Because you only ask so that you can consume things upon yourself. You're asking for yourself. That's why I said tonight, pray for one another, he says, and you'll be healed. Get out of yourself. Get, let go, let go, and allow the Lord to fill you with His desires, with His will. And when you begin to do that, prayer becomes a, a much higher transaction. The Lord is, is searching the earth, looking for people who will pray in agreement with Him. And God will deny no... God will not be mocked. He will not be manipulated with your faith formulas. But He is working all things according to His purpose. And if we don't see the purpose, we've got to get adjusted to Him. Today, the Lord may be sounding a C note. You musicians will appreciate this. If the Lord is sounding a C and we're hitting a B flat, He's not going to adjust himself down to our level and say, well, that's okay. No, he'll say, you are out of tune with me. He is always in tune. He is always perfect. He is always light. He is always pure. And the note that he sounds is crystal clear. We are the ones who need to be adjusted. We are the ones who get out of tune. So if the Lord is sounding a C and we're on a B flat, or we're on a D-flat, or a D-sharp, or a G, or an A, then we're off-key. We're, we're missing the mark. And that's what prayer does for us. How many times have I gone in to pray, and I, had, and I was absolutely fighting with God? 
I'll tell you one of the biggest things I thought with God about is having services in this chapel. <laughs> I don't want to have services in the chapel. Because then everybody will think we're a church. <laughs> but even in that small thing, it might not be a big deal to some people, but it was a big deal to me. And see, the Lord, the Lord has... You have your own things that are big deals to you. And I couldn't understand... Lord, why do you care about all, all the things that, that we care about? Why is that even an issue with you? Why do you care for us? Why do you say cast your care upon the Lord because he cares for you? And it's because he loves us. Because he loves us. Every little, tiny, insignificant thing that we're concerned about, as well as the big things, he's concerned about. But how many times have I gone into prayer with a certain attitude and a certain way that I said, this is the way I'm going to go. And by the time I got finished, I was thoroughly defeated by the Lord. The Lord defeated me. The Lord broke me. The Lord decreased me. He said, no, son, this is the way you want to go. I don't want to go that way. But you stay in the place of prayer just like David did those seven days and those seven nights on his face, on the earth, in the ground until you're able to accept that will of God. And that's where power in prayer comes from. Because when you finally let go of yourself and you only pray those things, see, prayer originates in heaven. If your prayer originates in here with what you want, it has no power. It has no power. When we only pray those things that the Lord burdens us with, it is a heavenly prayer. Prayer originates in heaven. It comes to earth and then we pray, yes, Lord. We pray the prayer of agreement. And the Lord will deny no prayer that is in accord that is, has been adjusted to his purpose and to his will. So the application to us is simple. What we are doing as a ministry, what you are doing, what I am doing as individual disciples of Jesus, is it in conformity to the revealed will of God, the purpose of God? What is that purpose? That Jesus would have the preeminence in all things, that he would fill all in all, and that we would be conformed to that image. Now, anything else that we do that falls short of that, we're settling for less than what God has in store for us. It is all about Jesus. And that's not just a motto. It's truth. It is all about Jesus. So prayer is an adjustment to the eternal purpose. Not the secret weapon I use to try to manipulate God to give me what I think or to get him to change my circumstances. Paul prayed three times. I keep going back to that. Paul prayed three times. Take this away. Take this away. Take this away. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient. Now Paul says, these light afflictions. How can he say that? These light afflictions, which are but for a moment, are working in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory as we look at those things that are not seen. We don't see all things submitted to Christ, but he is gathering together in one all things in him. And you are one of those things that he's gathering together. And the Lord is, is fulfilling his purpose in each one of us. Tonight, Lord, we thank you and praise you for your purpose in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that something has been said that 
would challenge us, would give us vision, Lord, beyond just our own circumstances, beyond the time and the place that we are here. Lord, it, in, it, inclu- it is inclusive of our lives and where we are, but it goes far beyond that as well. For you are gathering together all things in Christ. It says, of him and through him and unto him are all things. And you are working all things together according to the counsel of your will. And Lord, I pray if nothing else tonight, we will be encouraged with this word. That everything that has happened to us, everything that is happening to us, and everything that will happen to us, is going to increase Jesus and decrease us. And with less of me, there will be more of him. And as we get weaker, you become stronger. I thank you, Lord. Because you were teaching us to live and to walk according to the Spirit, and not according to what we see, not according to what we hear, not according to what we feel. But we look at those things that are unseen, and we walk according to the Spirit. For your words are spirit and life. Father, your word says if we will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is another way of saying if we will give Jesus the preeminence in all things. That is, if we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Then all of these things will be added to us again. And we become basically undefeatable. Because all of heaven, all of the authority and power of heaven backs us up when we have determined to put first the kingdom of God. I praise you for it, Lord. I thank you for for meeting us at whatever level we are on tonight. Some of us might be wrestling with you. Some of us might be on the verge of quitting. Some of us might be on cloud nine. I don't know. Most of us are probably somewhere in, in between cloud nine and about ready to quit. Whatever the case may be, Lord, I thank you. Whether we believe it, whether we acknowledge it, whether we even understand what in the world I've been talking about tonight, your purpose goes on. Your will moves forward. You are going about the work of increasing Christ and decreasing us. And I praise you for it, Lord. Even though it looks painful sometimes, even though we don't understand it sometimes, nevertheless, your kingdom and your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Lord. May this word produce fruit in our lives and go with each one of us now. Holy Spirit, bring these things to our remembrance as we encounter the things that you've prepared for us this week. We don't know what tomorrow brings, but Lord, I thank you. Even though in this world we will have tribulation, we can be of good cheer because you have overcome the world. And the one who abides in you will overcome even as you overcame. I thank you, Father, tonight that greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. And that no weapon formed against us can prosper. As long as we are adjusted to your purpose and your will, which cannot be defeated. It may look like it's being delayed, but it can't be defeated. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. 
I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and your word will not return unto you void, but it will accomplish what you sent it forth to do. Bless the Lord of my soul. I praise you tonight. Amen.